I wish you guys nothing but best. The ceiling is the roof. Let's make it happen. Let's keep moving forward. Congratulations. ceiling is the roof it's provocative gets the people going and it's our friday podcast uh in which me and bobby team up uh we do that anyway on different outlets around mavs.com but uh, this is the the set date every week uh when we're not eating lebanese food at lunchtime where we get to uh team up and do a podcast together and invite guests on like the television play-by-play voice of your Dallas Mavericks, Mark Followell. Hello, me. It's How nice to talk to you. <laughs> Mark Followell is here. I, no, I haven't heard an introduction of who this person is yet. So I just uh, heard oh. it's me. Yeah, so uh, hi, me. It's, it's you. It's, it's, it's Machine. It's Mike. Okay. It's Bobby. And it's Mark Followell on the very first episode of Ceiling is the Roof. Uh, if you don't know where that is, maybe just throw that in YouTube and have a good time watching that video but uh how you doing brother uh i'm great looking forward to talking to you guys i feel like that you uh have some provocative questions that are going to be posed and that we can dissect today in the podcast absolutely let's uh tell the people what we're doing uh so we came up with 20 questions for the mavs season that we uh wanted to use in some form or fashion maybe everybody writes a little bit about them maybe everybody speaks on it and we thought what better platform than our very first episode of Ceiling is the Roof to go through episode, or not episode, question 20 to 10 with Followell. Now that we're, I guess we're 19 days away right now, but uh, yesterday was 20 days away from October 17th. And um, a lot of these are questions that I feel like are kind of like right in your wheelhouse. I feel like I'm pitching uh, the fastball yeah. high and at the chest level. So I was like, who better than Followell? Yeah, you certainly didn't. Uh, you're, you're not throwing me questions that I can't handle here, that's for sure. I don't think there is a Mavs question you can't handle, so. Let's start start there. But, um, but is there is there the first question is is there a question? You <laughs> yeah, can't what handle? don't you want oh, to I'm answer? I'm sure there is. Yes, I'm quite sure there is. <laughs> not of these, but I'm quite sure there is a question I couldn't handle. Okay. Yeah. Are you saying these questions are easy? No, not at all. All right. So we'll go through twenty through eleven today, and then next Friday we'll post an episode of what ten through one. That's how numbers work. And uh, Mark's got a couple bonus questions. Yeah. These so are, these like are we get 12 questions. Yeah, these are catered for Mark specifically because he knows the schedule better than just about anybody, I would say. I haven't gotten to that place yet, though. Not yet? No, it takes usually the first month of the season. I kind of get zeroed in on it when, we, when the season starts. So I'm not to the point where I can recite every game and when and where and all that sort of stuff and the order of how it goes because, I mean, I, I, you know, and I don't do that stuff just for the heck of it. I mean, you want to know what your life's going to look like. So you know where you're going because of you want to know where you're, you know, what your life, what the roadmap of your life is going to be, when you're going to be in this place and is it going to be in a weekend and 
do I need to take care of something? You know, do we need somebody to be watching the dogs because the wife's also going to be mm-hmm. out of town? I mean, there's a lot of things that go into this whole thing, you know. So I'm not just reciting or I'm not just memorizing the schedule just because I don't have anything else to do. It does <laughs> kind of affect your life. You know? So there are, there are reasons to it that uh, are basketball-related and there are non-basketball-related reasons to, to eventually memorizing the schedule. But I'm not quite there yet. What do you know better right now, the Mavs schedule or the Kansas too deep? Uh, <laughs> Kansas I probably football. know the Kansas Jayhawk 2 deep yeah. because that game is Saturday of Oklahoma State and Kansas. So I know, yeah, I probably know they're too deep right now a little bit better than the map schedule. Do you maybe, still- maybe, but the early part of the map schedule I know for reasons that we'll elaborate on here in a minute. Do you uh, do the old school middle folder fold out with the roster too deep? Like uh, Actually, I have Hank a, Dickinson told it. I have, a, us. I have the template that Bill gave us when, when, when Mike and I went, went to North, both went to North Texas and we were in a sports broadcasting class and, and Hank Dickinson taught it when you were there. Mm-hmm. Bill Mercer, the, the right. originator of the classes, taught it when I was there. And I still use the, the uh, spotter boards that Bill gave us in 1990. And so I just, what was the wishbone and had all these places for fullbacks and halfbacks are now wide receivers. I mean, mm-hmm. a wishbone spotter board also works for a spread offense. You just need to change what the positions are. But the concept is still the same, that you turn the fullback and the wishbone into the running back, and then you turn the two halfbacks. They're now inside receivers, and the wide receiver and the tight end, the split in and the tight end that were on a wishbone spotter board from a long time ago are now just wide receivers. So, yeah, there is there is a way to turn to use something from 1990 and still apply it to football. Bill Mercer's today. advice is timeless. Yes. Yeah. Yes. His spotter board. His spotter board template. Timeless. Do you watch The Good Place? By the way, I meant to ask you before we got on air, but I don't. The show. Yeah. Okay. Should I? You should watch it. It uh, premieres, I think, Thursday night when we're recording this. But uh, one of the lines last night was, "How many quarterbacks are in a touchdown?" Which just made me laugh for about 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could think of whenever you were talking about positions and stuff like that. But uh, uh, by the way, if you haven't listened to Donnie Nelson and Tony Ronzoni with me and Bobby uh, talking about the scouting and the drafting of Luka Doncic. Please go check that out. That's on the four-pointer thread that we have or uh, stream, subscribe, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Um, All right. Everybody set? Yes, because I like football. Let's talk some Mavs basketball. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, so bonus question number one. Which home game are you most looking forward to? And I guess we can start. What's a, let's 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 do a little bit of a uh, counterclockwise rotation and let Mark answer this one first. Uh, that was easy for me. It's when LeBron comes here with the Lakers. Okay. The thing that would have been a competition for it is Golden State because they're the champs and they're Golden State, and it's always you know great to watch Steph warm up and Steph and all that business. But um, you know we've seen that LeBron with the Lakers. It's only going to happen once. It's going to be on a Saturday night in January. Uh, January 7th, I believe, is the actual date on that. And I remember last year when the Lakers came in on a Saturday night, obviously it's a much different team, but when they rolled into town um, in the early part of February, uh, it was a Saturday night. It was a really good game uh, where, where you know, guys down the stretch played really well. I think Maxi was very good. Sala was good. Yogi was good. I mean, there was, it was a fun, entertaining game that the Mavs won. McDermott was good in that one last year as well. So that was a fun game, and... Uh, the Lakers in the town in town on a Saturday night with LeBron and and all that you know, even though they have been bad for a long time, there is still something kind of unique and special about the Laker organization, obviously. So that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. Luca versus Brandon Ingram, that'll be a good matchup. Dennis yeah. and Lonzo, it's a, there's a lot more intrigue to that team than just LeBron. Dennis and Rajon Rondo. Dennis sir. and Rajon Rondo. 
Zoe and Doe, as LeBron calls them. Uh, the home game that I'm looking forward to the most is Boston. We only get Boston one time per year every year. That's November 24th. Uh, we did not get to see Gordon Hayward with the Celtics last season. Obviously, he got hurt in the opener. So this, uh, you know, if, if, if health allows it, this will be our first chance to see Hayward with the Celtics, with Tatum, with Jalen Brown, with Kyrie, of course, and Al Horford and, and everybody they have up there. So that should be a really good game. And it does seem like every time Boston comes here, it's close and competitive. No matter which team is better, there were years whenever the Mavs were great and the Celtics were not, and it was still – uh, you know, major comebacks by Boston. I remember the, the 2014 seasons in particular. The Mavs got out to a huge lead. Boston came back by full court pressing with Marcus Smart, which is pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, that's the game I'm looking forward to most, getting to see those guys. Is that Dirk's highest career average still against Boston? Points per I game? I think so. Yeah, I believe so. I think so. that still holds. Mm-hmm. Um, judging by the response on ticket sales and uh, just social media, you're right on the Lakers. Okay. You're right. That's the hottest selling ticket right now. You can't get in that building. Like, it's really difficult at this point. Sure. Um, I think people are getting a little tired of Golden State, just in general around the league. I kind of agree with you on that. You know, it doesn't hold the, uh, the, the luster that it once had. Yes. Whenever Golden State comes to town, you're like, okay, these guys again. Um, I have a couple. I have a couple options for the you. And we can... turn, the heel turn, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the heel turn has happened. With Absolutely. It's in the progress yeah. of happening. If it hasn't already, in fact, Katie came out today and said that it's pure hate that's keeping him from the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. Wow. Just to add a little more fuel to the fire. The heel turns happens. Quote, pure hate. (laughs) Uh, For me, it's my first season working for the team, and it's also Luca's first season. And so October 20th, the first home game on a Saturday night against Minnesota is awesome to me. Just seeing that dude wearing the uniform with, uh, you know, whatever – whatever leg sleeve he's got going on, whatever's <laughs> going on. You know, I just want to see him in the uniform on the American Airlines Center courts. Wearing Vladimir, Vladimir Redmanovich's <laughs> 77. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I need to see that guy. Like, I think that'll be a moment that we all remember for a really long time. I agree. If yep. I'm right. Yep. Just Luca's first home game, him being announced in the starting lineup, how crazy the crowd's going to go mm-hmm. for him. I think that's going to be special. Uh, Trey Young coming to town December 12th is going to be really cool as well. Wow. Okay. The guy that, the guy that Luca was traded for. Um, late in the season, I was looking for a couple to pick out. And the 76ers coming in on April 1st, I think that's the only time they come through. It is. One yeah. game, one game yeah. in Dallas. If the Lakers aren't the most exciting team in basketball or the most hyped team in basketball, um, I think the 76ers are right behind them. Uh, judging from what they did last season, their upward trajectory of, you know, trust the process, all that. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, uh, they got Wilson Chandler now. And they're trying to fill it out around the edges. And I just think that's going to have large playoff implications on April 1st at the AAC against the 76ers and a team I just love to watch play anyway and maybe Fultz is you know full-on Fultz at that point uh hopefully he has a great season but I can't wait for the Sixers to come in here on April 1st not to compare it to last year but last year's game was uh, a two-point win for Philadelphia when they came in here remember Yogi had a chance actually to tie it at the end of regulation yeah. and missed the free throws so yeah, that's one I, I kind of circled amongst the, uh, you know, this one's interesting, this one's interesting. Oh, yeah, Sixers 
are going to be determining your playoff fate most likely, and you're going to have a say in whether they're you know a one through four seed. And they were the rolling at the end of last season too. Yeah. The Sixers after the All Star break, they won ten like, in a row. I think like sixteen in a row wasn't oh, wow. it? Like something that big. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I lost yeah. count after ten. I can only count that high. Remember um, they were they were twenty literally like Philadelphia. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And the Seventy Sixers were twenty five and twenty five when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and then that all of a sudden just changed the whole dynamic of the Philadelphia sports scene. And the wow. Eagles went and crazy. The, the Phillies I mean, are the, having the, a good year. Seventy Sixers went crazy from the end of the season. Merry Christmas, Philadelphia. Villanova won the title. Yeah, yeah, great things happen. All right. Bonus question number two. What month or stretch of games stands out to you on the schedule? This can be positive, negative. This can just be, uh, you know, a weird weird couple weeks that uh, get plotted together. Um, You want to start this one, Bob? Uh, Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I I think this might be the lame answer, but the first five games of the season, I think, is going to be the thing that stands out to me the most, you have winnable games. You get uh, Phoenix, Atlanta, home against Minnesota. I don't know what their situation is going to be like just because yeah. of, uh, you know, they, they might make a move between now and then. Uh, you play Chicago in there as well. Yeah. So these are games that you – At Toronto. Yeah, at Toronto is going to be tough. But your first four games right out of the gate, Phoenix, Minnesota, Chicago, and Atlanta, you can win three or four of those. And if you do, you're off to a good start. And if they get off to the same start as they did the last couple of years where – you know, it's a couple close losses at the end of, at the beginning of the season, kind of sets the tone for a tough November, and uh, they just cannot afford that in a West that is as loaded as it is this year. Mm-hmm. So I think they've been talking about getting off to a good start. They have to, and if they don't in those first four games, after that it's Toronto, Utah, San Antonio, Lakers, which is a really tough second four games. Yeah. So those first four, you got to come out guns blazing, ready to go. Yeah, you catch the Suns. Hopefully, well, hopefully Booker recovers. 100%, but hopefully he's not in the lineup that night if you're trying to win a game against them. And then Minnesota, you don't know what's going on with Jimmy Butler's situation, what's gonna, what that roster is going to look like at that moment. And then Chicago, who was, you know, in the bottom of the East last year. So, yeah, starting out 3-0 and would do – and then Atlanta, um, who obviously picked uh, higher than you last year in the draft. So you would like to think there's a real opportunity to start 4 They've struggled in Phoenix and in Atlanta the last few years. They've, yeah. they've had a hard time winning out there. So – uh, you know, those are not gimme games by any stretch. But, uh, yeah, mm. DeAndre versus DeAndre on opening nights can be great. They've had a hard time beating Atlanta, period. Yeah, and they really they have. They have not beaten Atlanta since the Monte Ellis debut game with the Mavs. Opening the, night of the, 2013, right? The 13-14 season opener. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So by time, by, by, by number of years, not number of games, but by time, mm. it's their longest uh, gap between wins of any Wow, wow. That's like now. five full years. Yep. You know? That's really random. Yeah. Um, the month that stands out to me, and yeah, seasons don't get broken down in a month, but as humans and as we set our calendars, it gets broken down in a month, in, in, into months Based on mentally. our circadian rhythm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> January looks so wild to me. Um, you got three back-to-backs, uh, but five of those six games are on the road. So you got a Boston-Philly back-to-back. You got a Milwaukee-LA uh, Clippers back-to-back, and you got a Knicks-Detroit back-to-back in the dead cold of winter. Um, just looks like a pretty wild month, and I think that's going to be – you could probably say this about just about any NBA season for a team that's going to be fighting for, you know, playoff positioning eight through four, maybe even if you're lucky, top three-ish. January is going to define your season, and I feel like that's when you really find out. Um, you get that good push right before the All-Star break, that leads you into February when you have that light schedule heading into the All-Star break. And then I feel like we're going to look back at January and go, that's what made the season. Either broke it or you overcame and you became a, uh, a legit playoff contender at that moment. Marky? All right. 
Uh, I'm along the lines of Bobby a little bit, but I'm going to take it a little a farther. Uh, to me, it's the first 17 games of the season. Okay. And that will take you up to playing Brooklyn the night before Thanksgiving. So this is my thought process. Uh, number one, I'm in agreement with Bobby, and this is why I'm kind of zeroing in on this, is that starts are, the start of the season is so important. Um, it was over before it began for the Mavs the last two years in terms of being 2-13 and 2-14 and, and 14 have been their respective starts over the last two seasons. So, look, you know, Rick has said on multiple occasions already that you know, part of being a coach, and I do agree with this, is managing expectations. So, so I've, I've felt that way for a long time this entire offseason as we get ready for the start of the year it's great to have enthusiasm but also to manage expectations as well however um look like everybody i want this team to be as as good as possible and i asked rick the other day and the media day live stream but i mean you guys have i've seen the interviews and you know put them up on the mavs live youtube channel so people can see them and and on maps.com slash videos there you go um and Rick, I asked Rick what his expectation and his vision for the season was. And I thought he gave a pretty candid answer for a coach that it was not just coach speak. He said, my hope is that we can be good enough to weather the storms and put ourselves in a position to play meaningful games in March. So it was very, like, I thought that was very managed expectations, but also setting the bar of let's, you know, we want to be playing for something. This is not about a season of just not being very good again. This is about being, you know, taking a stride and being able to at least put yourself in position to play for something. So given that that's what Rick wants to do, well, obviously a 2-13 and 2-14 and and start is unacceptable. You can't go down that road again. So in the first 17 games of the year, the Mavs are going to play eight games against teams that did not make the playoffs last year. Um... One of those games is at the Lakers, who are obviously markedly better, and it's a road game. And the Lakers were dynamite at home last year from basically the 1st of January on. They were one of the two or three best home teams in the league, as a matter of fact, in the second half of the season last year, or that portion of the season. So I'm you know, not optimistic about that one. Um, and by the way, Derek Harper always, when we get into these discussions on the broadcast, and he's right about this, you get into trouble when you start parsing the schedule down and counting wins and losses. I mean, it really is kind of a fool's errand to do it. But we're having fun on a podcast, so we're going to do it. Um, but I see those eight non-playoff teams that they're going to play in their first 17 games. So, look, if you could win six of those games, and then you look at some of the teams that are on the schedule that were playoff teams last year, like Minnesota's going to be coming here. We've already said. Who knows what's going to be up with them. If Jimmy Butler's going to be on the team. By the way, it's the second night of a back-to-back for Minnesota. It's the home opener for Dallas. Minnesota's going to play home game against Cleveland the night before. Another one of those playoff teams that will be here is the Wizards. Uh, the Mavs, I mean, what is it, like 57 straight games they've won against the Wizards or something like that? Is that the number? I mean, it's not, it's not quite ne- there. But, never lost. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a very good stretch for the Mavs against the Wizards over the last mm-hmm. – I, I think it's 15 out of 16 that they've wow. won. They played the Wizards really, really well for about an eight- or nine-year stretch right now. Um, you know, you're going to see Utah three times in the opening in that stretch. Obviously, one of them up there is going to be really difficult, but you get them twice here. Maybe you could surprise them. Maybe you're going to be able to surprise the Thunder or something like that. So if we're talking about playing meaningful games in March, then to me, set the table with, by Thanksgiving, be 9-8. and eight. You know, take your first 17 games of the year and win a lot of those games against the eight non-playoff teams from last year that you're playing and beat a few playoff teams too. And, you know, maybe you can go to San Antonio and, and beat them. I mean, I mean, heck, he had a beat last year in December, yep. and then they scored the last 13 points of the game. So, you know, it's not like it's some sort of big ask to go down there and win. 
um, you know, relative to some of the other things that are on their schedule early in the season. So uh, the schedule is going to get really tough for a couple of weeks right at th- right after Thanksgiving. And then there's also another stretch that kind of evens out for about a week or so where you play a lot of non-playoff teams from last year in mid-December. So I, I looked at it even farther and thought, you know, I think that, that being, you know, 14-12 and 12 or 13-13 or something like that in the first 26 games or 28 games, whatever it was that I looked at, um, is also a, a nice, modest goal. But for me, the most interesting thing is give me the first 17 games of the year and get to Thanksgiving and be over 500. Yeah, you just can't get to the quarter mark five or six hundred, you know. you got to be yeah. – you got to be well, around. That would still five. represent a big jump for what's it been would. the last two it years. It would, unfortunately, yeah. like it would. Like I said, I mean, the season's been over before it's began for yep. two years running. And, mm. man, let's not go through that again. All right, question number 20. This one pertains to uh, our favorite second-year, second-team all-rookie, Dennis Smith Jr. Blank needs to happen for Dennis Smith Jr. to be a league-average efficient scorer. So a lot of uh, – <laughs> A lot of placeholders in there. So let me tell you what league average efficient scoring is. It's 521 effective field goal percentage or 556 true shooting percentage, depending on what your what religion you subscribe to. If you're an effective field goal guy, you're this. True shooting percentage is 556. Last year, Dennis Smith Jr. was 446 on the effective field goal uh, percentage and 473 on true shooting percentage. So Mark... For those aren't that listening, the difference between effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage is true shooting percentage uh, factors in your free throw percentage, mm-hmm. and effective field goal percentage is field goal percentage and an adjustment for the higher value three of making three pointers. Yeah, yes. a three is one and a half shots basically yeah. Yeah. for for yeah. EFGs. And the, the easy answer is hit more threes, take more free throws. Let's go a little <laughs> bit deeper in that. <laughs> what kind of threes? You know, what kind of threes and how do you get at the line more, that kind of stuff? Well, actually, you know what? I'm not even going to address either one of those. Really? Okay. What I Interesting. Think is what I want to see happen. And that is I just want to see him be a better player. This gets into the floater, which mm-hmm. is something I think we all kind of agree, you know, the, the little runner, the floater, the teardrop, whatever, whatever terminology you want to use for it. Dennis, I think, needs to be a better player, a more efficient player from 15 feet and in. And really, to be honest with you, it's probably only from 10 feet and in. I mean, I'll include the, the 15 feet. Um, last year, Dennis took 32% of his shots from three feet and in. And he shot just over 60% on those shots. That's a low number, uh, one of the lower numbers on the team. Um, you know, league average is more like shooting in the mid-60s, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Brea was a 63% shooter on his attempts from three feet and in. And think about the athletic advantages that Dennis has when he goes in and shoots from inside of three feet compared to a guy like J.J. But J.J.'s just so crafty, and he's always had to be because of his size, that he knows uh, creative things to do to be able to finish amongst the trees, as we like to say when a little guy goes in amongst the big guys. So be, you know, be better. I um, mean, the guy had his shot blocked 100 times last year. Dennis did. So, so it seemed like think, a lot of those were early in the year too, like yeah. the first like two months. And I think we all feel like watching him last year that that would be something that he would learn and he'll adjust to as his career goes on. That at past levels he could just jump higher and hang up in the air long. He could jump higher than everybody and stay in the air longer than everybody because of his incredible gifts. And that's not the case at this level. So all of those shots that you could finish just by out jumping and out levitating, for lack of a better term your opponents you can't do that at this level so we'll see that uh and then you know i looked at his according to basketball reference um the the, the outside of three feet to 10 feet uh only 11 percent of his shots came from there 
but the number was like 25% is what he shot on those attempts. Yeah, so the three, 257. Yeah, the three to 10 foot shot is basically a floater. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking, a little teardrop, a little Tony Parker runner that Tony Parker developed over the course of his career that was such a reliable weapon. Um, so to me, it's like be just a, be a little more, um, you know, efficient and creative and be able to finish more of those shots that you had rejected last year when you took it inside. And I think that that is a very realistic, manageable thing that a year of experience and a year of knowing what it's like when you go in amongst the trees and how to compensate for that to me, I think, puts him in a position to be the, uh, what was the verbiage you used? What is it? League, League average, average efficient, efficient score. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where the strides are. I didn't even look about, and look, I mean, improving on 31%, 31.7 was his three-point shooting, right? 31.3. Uh, so improving on that and getting it closer to the league average, which is around 35%, mm -hmm. you know, getting it closer to that obviously would be a big part of it. But, but I zeroed in on be a better player and a higher field goal percentages on the shots that you take from within 10 feet because zero to three feet was almost 32% of his shots, but then tack on the, the three to 10 feet, over 40% of the guy's shots are coming from inside of 10 feet away. And the numbers were all, you know, amongst the lower percentages on the team last year. So those need to improve. Bobby, I think, you know, to add to, add to what Mark said, obviously inside matters, but outside matters too. And last season, the 31-3 on threes is – it's not going to do it. You know, he, he was taking like five or six per game, which is a lot. I don't think he'll get as many this year because I think he'll be able to attack more because of Luka and because of these other playmakers. Uh, but when he does take threes, more of the catch-and-shoot variety. So last year, catch-and-shoot threes, he was up at 38%, which is pretty good, pretty, pretty solid. Whenever it was a catch-and-shoot three that was unguarded, he was at 50%, which is like the very, very top of the league. Now, there were only 63 of those shots, catch-and-shoot unguarded. That's from Synergy. Most of your ball-sharing guards, guys like C.J. McCollum, uh, Jamal Murray, guys like that, are taking like 130, 240 of those shots. So Dennis needs to basically double that to get into their league. But if he doubles those shots and stays above 40%, he's going to be really good. I mean, no. just, just naturally. So... And I think that if you do improve as a three-point shooter and you can prove that you're a valuable asset, guys are not going to be able to sag off you, which means that he'll probably have less uh, resistance going to the rim. He'll be able to just blow by guys. And if you mm -hmm. have Luka running stuff over here, Dennis is attacking at the, at the angle, then he'll have less resistance at the rim too. So I think just the Mavericks sharing the ball more, dribbling less, uh, having other guys out there that can play make, that can facilitate and set the table for Dennis, I think is going to help him a lot there too. Yeah, I think you said it. I think uh, better ball movement, add another playmaker into the lineup. Uh, I feel like I – this might be an exaggeration, but I feel like what we think we know about Dennis Smith, that jar is as big as the jar that says things I don't know yet. <laughs> like him coming off a cut when he's not the ball handler. Like running plays for him to get going towards the basket. I don't know what he is in that. You know what I mean? I can look up the cut numbers on Synergy, and I can look up, you know, uh, how he shoots at the rim uh, whenever he's the ball handler and there's another big that comes after him. I can see that stuff, but I'm interested to see overall, okay, collectively a better group of talent this year, better ball movement, more playmakers. On those at-the-rim shots that Mark brought up, only 45 of them were assisted. So that's crazy. That's crazy to me that he got into the lane, got to the rim on his own that often. Mm -hmm. And he also got his shot block a lot, which happens for a rookie. But for me, 
it's knowing okay it's the second year of development it's knowing when i get to this second tier in the lane i have a plan now before it even happens Mm -hmm. before breaking down because no one can guard anybody one-on-one in this league there's a list of what five guys that can do it okay and everyone knows who those guys are so once you get past that initial defender what's your plan after that because he's got the other stuff He's got the I can jump over you. He's got the catch and shoot three. It's what happens in the second layer, second level. And then fewer pull-up shots just in general. If if it's not going to – if that's who he is, if that statistical profile is who he is on pull-ups, I'm going to need fewer pull-ups, which just means better looks, which I think is kind of a natural offset of what DeAndre is going to bring with the pick-and-roll dive to the lane and then what Luka is going to bring and being able to uh, distribute the basketball. So – Maybe yeah. for a, but maybe for a little bit of next level thought on that, I'm not necessarily, and maybe you're talking about pull up long pull up twos is what yeah. you're referring to. The pull up has its place, and it gets back to my thought on like his shooting from inside of ten feet. I'm envisioning that some of those three foot to ten foot shots that I was talking about earlier, Mike, those being pull ups where mm-hmm. you drive. And then now you understand I don't always need to take it to the defense. Yeah. So hit, you know, hit pull up from eight or nine feet um, and rise and be able to knock down that shot. Whereas, you know, that shot, and I don't know about that shot in particular, but his three to 10 foot shooting was 25 point something percent last year. Mm -hmm. You know, those once a game, if you do it that way, don't take it as we're fond of saying in the broadcast, sometimes, you know, don't always take it to the defense. There is value in pulling up and and taking a short jumper from eight feet away from 10 feet away rather than taking it into the teeth of the defense mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm okay with a pull up in that context yeah instead of challenging the second defender that comes at you you go you know what I can see the basket right here it looks like a pretty easy little drop yep. let's, let's get that one down yeah and I think and so the floater m- too though that's I yeah. want to see that man right and I think so much of his his pull-up game and his three-point shooting game and just all the stuff that'll factor into the encore products that'll factor into these statistics is just his balance he's mm-hmm. so athletic and can launch every which way he wants okay how do you harness that yeah how do you not be you know first second third year Westbrook where you're just pulling you're you're doing a pull up but you're jumping 10 feet straight in the air and your your body's over here and you're still shooting it yeah. you know what I mean kind of just being more chill on your pull ups almost it's interesting you bring that up I thought whenever he was drafted here and I thought given the strength and conditioning and and you know Jeremy Holsopple and the training staff you know Casey's obviously Casey Smith is the athletic trainer but Jeremy works, you know, with strength and conditioning. And I thought, you know, he's regarded as one of the best of the league. And, you know, to be able to help Dennis work with getting this incredible muscular structure and ability that he has to work in balance with one another. Mm-hmm. I did think that was really a benefit of him coming here because I think, you know, Jeremy's, you know, very, very good at that and very smart in that regard. And that is something that they can help him with moving forward. Yeah. And plus he grew yeah. an inch this summer apparently too. That's what he says. So. Yeah. What Explosiveness says. and strength is nothing if it's not balanced. Yep. That's if right. it's not no, like a core to hold it together. Um, all right. Question number 19. Blank is the best player in the Eastern Conference. That's not necessarily a Mavs question, but we're playing the East quite a few games this season, so it feels pertinent. 30 games. 30 games. 30 games. Um, So let Bobby lead this one off. Okay. Uh, I think by the end of the year, my answer might be different, but I think right now the guy who's reigning over the Eastern Conference uh, is Joel Embiid in Philly. Whenever he's on the floor, they are unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the best defenses in the league and virtually unstoppable on offense whenever he's out of the game. Even last season when they were winning, they won 52 games or whatever it was last season. Whenever he was off the floor, they played like a lottery team. So his impact, his value is uh, pretty unprecedented. It's 
at last year at least, and really the year before, uh, whenever he was you know out all year because of injury, uh, his on-off splits were like Dirks whenever the Mavs were good. They were like amazing with him and very bad without him. So uh, I think just the impact that he has on the team and how good they were whenever he was on the floor makes him the best, in my opinion. But by the end of the year, if uh, Mike Budenholzer works his magic in Milwaukee, it might be Giannis. This is almost like a regular season versus playoff question to me. Yeah. Because I think you said that, I kind of thought the same thing. I think regular season, like Giannis can win MVP. He's like an MVP caliber player. Uh, but playoffs, I think I'm going Kyrie Irving. If I'm looking at the, the crop of guys in the East and I'm saying, okay, give me this guy plus four other league average guys, I think Kyrie's just a killer, man, in the playoffs. And missing a year being a contract year um, I think he's gonna be exceptionally hungry and I think he's gonna be the best player in the Eastern Conference playoffs granted he gets there and stays healthy well my answer is exactly the same as yours oh well yeah if I were judging it based on the regular season I would say uh, Costas's brother that's how we <laughs> refer to him. that's there how we go. refer to him around here now <laughs> yeah. said Kumbo was Costas's brother <laughs> and in the playoffs I would say Kyrie I, I do find it interesting that that clearly None of the three of us ever gave, apparently anyway, a thought to mentioning Kawhi. Yeah. It's a question yeah. mark, you know? Well, of course. Yeah. yeah, I agree. He's missed so much time, and it's been such a weird last year for him. I just need him to – I need to see him yeah. get back there and be There needs to be re- a retrenching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And one guy that I couldn't find a way to squeeze into my, my, uh, my process of top three in this regard is, is Victor Oladipo. Mm-hmm. Like, if he takes another step, that's scary good. Yeah, like that he is scary. Such a spectacular. It's such a spectacular year. Take another step because it would yeah. be so scary good. Yeah, but sure. If he did, if he did do that, that is, yeah, you're. He's in the conversation, no question. Yeah. Um, all right. Question number eighteen. Blank will be second in rebounds per game for the Mavs. I think uh, the layup for number leading rebounder of the Mavs is DeAndre Jordan. If he doesn't, something's gone. Horribly. Terribly <laughs> awry. <laughs> so uh, the question is, second leading rebounder in terms of rebounds per game for the Dallas Mavericks will be? This is a great question, and I struggled with it. Um, the debate that I had was, will it be Barnes again just because of amount of minutes on the floor? Mm-hmm. But we certainly understand that DeAndre is going to take at least some of the rebounds that Barnes got last year. And Barnes averaged six rebounds a game last season, 6.1 rebounds per game um and then the other thing I toyed with was Powell off the bench who averaged 5.6 last year and that was uh was that third on the team Dirk was second right Dirk was Dirk second was, yeah. Dirk was second and and you know that number I think is going to drop with his with his bench roll but but you know Dwight did start some last year as well and, and played a lot of minutes so I to answer the question arrived at I think that Barnes will edge out Powell in the and for the number two spot that Barnes will still be on the floor enough and won't have enough of his rebounds taken away from DeAndre that that you know he still can't and 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 I also say that too because I asked Rick yesterday at practice um you know what was something that he was looking for for Barnes like what's a tangible improvement that we could track this year because last year he brought up rebounds and he said you know I mean you guys think that just one more rebound a game isn't that big of a deal but that would be that would be a nice jump to go from five to six and he said yesterday I would still like to see rebounding improve more so Rick's not thinking oh DeAndre is going to take away Barnes rebounds right so there's still an expectation that that he goes out there and does it and so I'll uh it's a great question it really made me think I'm going to say Barnes Bobby 
It's tough. I think Barnes, Barnes, it was my kind of my snap take. That's uh, the free space. I think so because he's he is the second best rebounder on the team. That's gonna be playing a lot of minutes. Does the news today change? Your well, so the news today, uh, he has a what a right hamstring strain. Yeah. He'll be reevaluated in seven to ten days. Uh, probably will not play either of the China games. Certainly will miss this weekend's opener. Um, I mean, we'll see. I guess if he misses time, that could be that could be an issue. But I think he'll be okay. Uh, mm. I think he'll be okay. But um, anyway, Rick on on media day saying that Luke is going to be the power forward. I, th- I don't think that matters on offense, but I think it matters on defense because I think it means you're going to put Barnes on the small forward. Yeah. So if Luke so is further guarding, away from the basket, in yeah. Theory. But but the way that the way that Rick has described it in the past, especially whenever they go really small, like two or three guard lineups, is. It's up to the big guys to box out the big guys, and then the guards got to swoop in and pick up the trash. So if Luke is guarding the bigger guy, his job is going to be to get a body on the big guy, which means that Barnes is conceivably the best candidate to come in and swoop in and, and get the board. Mm-hmm. But that arrives that, – that path led me down to the, the galaxy brain answer to this <laughs> question, which I'm not sure I believe, but – your second leading rebounder could be Dennis Smith Jr. Wow. If Luke is boxing out and Barnes is boxing out, Dennis can get it. And if he gets the rebound, kind of like with OKC with Russ. Somebody's ready for the weekend. Yeah, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, so the way, that, the way that OKC does it, it's, you know, people say it's stat padding. But whenever Westbrook gets the rebound, OKC's offense is, like, unstoppable because they yeah. just, boom, go right into transition. Right. And I know that Barnes brought, up the ball, uh, brought the ball at the floor a little bit last year. Luka can do the same thing. But your best way to get a fast break is for Dennis to get the ball. And if that means him getting the rebound, that is the fastest way to do it. So it could be Dennis if Luka and, and uh, Harrison are committed to, to boxing out. But I think – Probably we're a couple years away from that happening, so maybe Barnes is the Barnes is the guy. I think he's the safe bet for sure. It's kind of interesting that we've talked all this time, and it is about rebounding. And we we have all of these thoughts about Luca, but none of it is addressed. I wonder what kind of rebounder he's going to be. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's got you know he's got a level of size. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was not a poor rebounder by any stretch. I don't have like all the numbers like locked down on memory, but I mean my my six my, or seven a game, my right? minor. Uh, assessment of his EuroLeague stats and and uh, ACB stats, top flight in Spain stats, are that you know he's certainly an acceptable rebounder. But just kind of wonder where, what kind of rebounder he'll be here. It's an unknown quantity, so that's why I didn't want to. Yeah. Because you know, what you know, I mean, minutes could be whatever the minutes going to be, and mm-hmm. you know. And I if he's know. if he's guarding the bigger guy, then he might be, you know, both arms down, getting wide to keep his guy from getting the offensive rebound. He might not Maybe. even be chasing rebounds. Yeah. You know? I think if he's the second leading rebounder, I think this is a very fast-paced team. Because much like you said with Dennis, him swooping in and grabbing it and going out and run, I think that's what Luca wants to do, man. He wants to get guys on the wings running with him and, okay, let's make the perfect pass. You know, let's dime somebody up as they're cutting through the lane. Yeah, don't be confused by the way they played the last couple of years. Barnes can run the floor, too. Oh, and yeah, Golden man. State, he can get up and down. And I know Wes really does like that, too, running the wing, you know, popping up or uh, stopping and popping for three. Yeah. You know, so they, they, can, they can get out and run it. My answer is different than both okay. of your answers. And the second leading rebounder for the Dallas Mavericks this season will be Dwight Powell. Okay. I think uh, looking at the minutes distribution from last year, Dirk's about 25, uh, Dwight Powell's 21. I think that kind of flips this year. I think Dirk's probably around 22, Dwight Powell's around 25, 26. Um, And I just think the guy's an exceptional rebounder and always around the basket. And 
more minutes. Um, and I think Harrison Barnes is going to take a little bit of a dip because he's going to be further away from the basket, like you said. And they're going to want Luka to actually corral that ball so he can get out and lead the break on the starting unit. And whenever Dwight does play with the uh, the starters, whenever he does, he's on the court with DeAndre at the same time, teams aren't stupid. They're going to throw two guys, two butts at DeAndre and try and wedge him out of the paint because he's such a prolific rebounder and he can get so high up there and his wingspan is so impressive that he can basically gather in anything that's in his area. So then who's left over if Dwight Powell's out there? It's Dwight Powell. Um, so, I don't know, not a bad answer, and it's a pretty tough one to pick out, honestly. That's a great uh, question. That's a good question, yeah. I'd, I'd like it if Dwight Powell did it. We had, some, we had some nice sports disagreement there Yeah. So between all three of us. All right, so question number 17. Blank has the biggest spike in minutes per game this season. Did Mark start the last one? I think he did. I think Mark did. Okay. Okay. Fire away, Bobby. Um, so pre-All-Star break last season, Dennis Smith Jr. averaged 29.3 minutes. Post-All-Star break, Dennis averaged 30.6. I think this year he gets up above 31, possibly even above 32. Mm-hmm. I don't think any other starter is going to see an increase in minutes, and I think a lot of the bench players might see a decrease except for maybe Dwight. Yeah. So by default, I think my answer is going to be Dennis. He might get – for the season he averaged 29.7. I think this season he could be above 32, which is almost three minutes per game. So my answer is Dennis, I think. I think that was that was my answer too. Uh, Dennis getting closer to 32, 33 minutes a game. And then Dwight Powell, both those guys I see cranking them up a little bit. Um, and with a roster that's more talented, with more uh, guys that demand minutes across the board, most of the guys on the team are going to be taking minutes away. Those are the only two situations where I'm like, I need those guys in the court more right now, actually, uh, because of the, you know, the arrival of DeAndre and Luca, who's going to absorb a lot of minutes, a lot of shots. So interested to see what Mark has to say. Agree with you guys completely that that the composition of the roster means I think most guys that were here last year are going to see their minutes go down. Dennis, to me, is the definite candidate to see it go up. And I'm not uh, – I don't even know that I see Powell's going up as much as you guys do. I mean, he played 21-point-something minutes. Um, you know, if you're looking at front court minutes and, and knowing that DeAndre is durable and plays a lot, you know, is doesn't get in a lot of foul trouble um, – and Luca is going to be out there, I think, quite a bit. I, I just don't see that there's and, – and, you know, Dirk's obviously going to have his bench role and absorb some of the backup front court minutes. I'm not sure that I see a path for Powell to have a huge increase in the 21 minutes that he played per game last year. But certainly there's a path that Dennis goes from averaging 29.7 for the season to averaging something like between 32 and 33 this year. All right, question number 16. Dwight Powell dunks versus Dirk Nowitzki threes. Total for the season. Who has more? So here's a reference for you. Let me pull up Dwight's dunks. Dwight had 96 dunks last season. Dirk had, where are my totals? Here I think we go. 138 or something like that. On made threes, 138 exactly. So 138 versus whatever the number I just said that I quickly 96. forgot. 96 is last year's total. Obviously, a different year, different, way different team. Yep. Um, more Dwight Powell dunks or Dirk Nowitzki made threes. Mark Followell. Um, I am going to say more Dwight Powell dunks. I think that number is in the ballpark of where it was last year, and I think you know this is a great unknown in terms of how much Dirk is going to play in this bench role. 
Uh, I don't think his minutes are, you know, I don't know that his minutes are going to be cut in half, clearly, because he played 25 minutes a game last year. He's not about to drop to being a 12 or 13 minute a game player. So his, if his number drops to 20, you know, then that means his, his uh, percentage of minutes played has dropped 20%, you know, take five off 25. Uh, but I, I just have a feeling that the number of made threes, because I think there probably could be more, more sitting on the second night of a back-to-back. I mean, look, we don't know. I mean, is Dirk going to be ready October 17th? Don't know that. Um, we no. don't. I mean, I think everybody's waiting for a Dirk update. Um, not saying that he's not going to be, but obviously they're really taking this slow. It hasn't and, been on the court yet. It hasn't been on the court yet. And Rick pointed this out, that, that with the surgery came an increased range of motion in the ankle. And that's a good thing. But one drawback of it, if you want to call it that, is that the tendons and ligaments were free to move in ways that they haven't been able to. They haven't been free to move recently, and so there was some soreness that was associated with that that they're kind of managing right now. So uh, last year, you know, look, they only rested Dirk one time all season. He played; he did not play the second night of a back-to-back when they went down to Houston about a week or two before the All-Star break. And then other than that, I mean, Dirk played every game until they shut him down at the end of the year for the surgery. And I just it's hard to envision that that's going to be the same thing this year. I mean, I, you know, look. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a different thought process that obviously I'm not privy to, but, but I would think that there might be some more managing of him on the second nights of back-to-backs and, and things like that as the, uh, as the season unfolds. So answer the question is more Dwight Powell dunks. I think I'm with you there. I'm with you on Dwight. Um, I also think that this year, because Dirk is going to be coming off the bench and so will Powell, uh, Dwight will be rolling more and popping less. Last year, after the All-Star break, he was popping a lot more. Uh, for three, I think that he will be spending most, if not all, of his time rolling to the rim. So the dunks might even go up a little bit. I guess it depends on a lot of other things, too. But uh, unless he's sp- playing with DeAndre more, which I don't think that Dwight will be doing, he will be almost exclusively a role man, in my opinion. That could change, obviously, and I could also just be an idiot and be wrong. But I think that he might I get mean, over. I you are that. Oh, yeah. thanks. <laughs> I, I, I think he, he might get over 100 this year. Yeah. Book it, actually. I'm predicting oh, wow. it. Dwight okay. Powell, more than 100. Wow. The ceiling is real, the roof, baby. Real unnecessary lock-in he just no. made on the podcast. Book it. I'm, I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> What's the payoff for that? Yeah, I mean, exactly. What's the benefit in then locking that in? There's zero. In. Nothing, Absolutely man. zero. <laughs> so let's look at the last couple of years, I guess, of Dirk. Uh, 79 in the shortened season in 16-17, made threes. Uh, 126 in 15-16 and 104 uh, in the 14-15 season. So... You know, normal year. Last year was a was a was a blip. It was a it was an outlier for one one hundred thirty eight made threes. I feel shot one of the highest percentages of his career. Yeah. and just you know, as his as his career has gotten down towards the end, he's stepping out and shooting more threes because mm-hmm. that's just something that's more natural, a, a better a better look for him to get at this stage yeah. of his career. Forty one percent from three last year. Career, he's at thirty eight percent. And um, Mike, even Dirk, I think recognizes even Dirk, the master of the mid range game for all these years. Mm-hmm. I think even Dirk recognizes uh, the the greatest mid range shooter that there has been. Recognizes some of the value of. I can make a lot of these shots, but, hey, why don't I go ahead, rather than take a 21-footer, go out and step out and take the three. All right, cool. So question number 15. Who has the largest scoring output in a single game for the Dallas Mavericks this season? I think Mark's up. Uh, Dennis Smith. Ooh, yep. okay. Yep, there's an explosiveness there. There's, a, there's an ability for an explosive night or two along the way. I mean, his – best was 27 last year correct yep mm-hmm. i mean it's got to be better than that at some point in time this year 
And I think that the flow of the team and the way the shots will be is they're not going to have nights where they're going to feed Harrison that will get him up to the 34 that he scored. I, think, I believe that's as high, correct, yep. as a Maverick over yep. two seasons here? Two seasons ago. Um, you know, he'll probably flirt with 30 a, a time or two along the way. But, you know, even Rick has addressed this. There's going to be more balance on this team this year. But if I'm just going to pick one guy who has the biggest likelihood of, of because of his explosiveness and talent of going off for a big night is – Dennis getting hot and, you know, some team not guarding him and he gets to the basket at will or, you know, makes five threes like he did in a couple of games last year, something like that. Yeah, yeah. so Harrison, think, Barnes, Harrison Barnes last season had the highest scoring game at 31. The year before, he was 34. The only other player in that time to score at least 30 was Seth Curry. This year, that is going to change. Uh, I think Dennis is most likely to have the most 30-point games, but I think your highest scoring game by a player this season, because the ball is going to find the open man, it is going to find the most open man, and the guy who's best at getting open from three is Wesley Matthews. I think there's going to be one night where he just goes insane, and it's like, like nine like or ten Washington threes. game yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think he's just going to score 30 points based on threes alone. So I, I think Wes, for one night, is going to be like up near 40 like he was a few years ago. I actually thought about that, too, but yep. I still think there's Dennis has a bigger night in store. Dennis mm-hmm. probably has the best chance to get to 40, too. Mm-hmm. So. I think uh, – I'm going to go with Harrison Barnes. It might be the obvious one, but the reason I think so is because I think uh, whenever Luca is handling the ball, his natural tendency is, is, to, is to share it. And if you're running that secondary, the second pick and roll of a possession, and, you know, people know Wes can knock down threes. I think it's ball movement to Barnes almost. I think it's almost kick it out to Wes. People overplay Wes to the three-point line. Ball comes back around. I can see Harrison Barnes shooting a lot better from three this season. Uh, especially if you're going to play him at the traditional quote-unquote three position, um, more than a four. And we know he can score. We know he's one of the better ISO players in basketball. And I think there's just going to be a game early, maybe in the first 20 games, where they like a mismatch. Somebody is checking Barnes who just can't handle him, either in the post, if it's a smaller guy, or uh, if a bigger guy's chasing him out to the three-point line. And with the ball just whizzing around and what I have in my mind's eye of what this offense is going to look like, I think it's going to find him maybe eight times in one game and he knocks down five threes and then he, you know, bullies uh, whoever they're trying to throw at him and he drops, you know, a nice 34, a nice 35. And it's easier than it looks and it's just super efficient. And uh, it might be easy because he did it, you know, last year. It would be the easy pick. But I think he's going to knock down more threes than he has in his basically his entire uh, any other season with the Mavericks because of how the ball is going to fly around. So Barnes is mine. All right, number 14. Blank will lead the Mavs in assists per game this season. Bobby Carella. Last season, your leader was J.J. Barea at 6.3. Second was Dennis at 5.2. Nobody else had more than 2.7. You add in Luka, that's more assists. Uh, J.J. only played 23 minutes. I don't think it's going to go down too much, so he might be around 6 again, but I think Dennis is going to take a big leap. Uh, I think he could be up near 7 this season if everything works out. Even though he'll have the ball less, he'll be finding shooters more. And last year, they missed a lot of open shots on Dennis Passes. I think he easily could have been up near six last year. Guys just missed shots. Uh, and with better ball movement comes more rhythm for everybody. And I think that he will, along with shooters, find DeAndre a little bit more too. So I think your leader is going to be Dennis Smith around 6.5 to 6.8, I think, is my, my projection. I agree with Bobby. I think it'll be Dennis. Um, I, just, I, don't, I think the one thing I would add to what Bobby said is I see – the jump in large part due to just having DeAndre to throw lobs to. 
Yeah. I mean, that surely is going to that's add like two a free sig- baskets. A yeah. game. That's surely going to add a significant number to his assists per game. Clear the rails because the hype train's coming through. Oh, oh no. Yeah. You're going there? You're going I, there? I, I'm going I there. I thought about it. I thought about this. <laughs> I'm going there. And for the same reasons, I mean, DeAndre, dive into the basket. But the number one reason is because someone within the organization told me Pistol Pete-like with the basketball in regards to Luka Doncic. I mean, you have called him your adult son. He is my yeah. large adult son. <laughs> he shares that. well with others. <laughs> Such a team player, even on the video game front. Uh, yeah, that's my dude. I mean, I think his, his natural, like, okay, whenever you're a rookie in the NBA, things are just, you're, you're, you're swimming in it. There's so much going on. There's every night's a different challenge. He's not, you know, foreign to that concept at all. But I think you need to find one thing that you do exceptionally well. And for him, I know right now, out of the bag, out of the package, batteries included, he's a great sharer of the basketball. He's a great uh, assist man in terms of diamond people up, whether it's on the lob, uh, playing with Tavares or Ione, uh, with, uh, without, with Real Madrid, or it's DeAndre Aiden. Or DeAndre, not DeAndre Aiden, DeAndre Jordan. That would be weird if he's playing with Aiden. <laughs> yeah, if we can get both those guys. <laughs> let's do Twin Towers. Um, but I think Luca's sharing of the basketball is going to blow people away i don't think we're we're quite ready for seeing a dude that size running pick and roll and dropping six and a half assists a game i hope you're right that would be crazy yeah uh question number 13 can the mavs finish in the top half the league in points in the paint we were going to stage this as fast break points but i thought it was more interesting for points in the paint uh so we can talk about a couple other different factors that go into that number uh, at the end of the season. Mark Folliwell, can the Mavs finish in the top half of the league in points in the paint this season? A resounding yes. Absolutely they can. They were at 39 last year, 38.8. 39 points in the paint per game last season. To reach the midway point, all they would need to do is get to 44. 43.8 was the midpoint, and Brooklyn was at 43.8 along with Cleveland for 15 and 16 in the league last year. So... Uh, Miami was 14th at 44 and a half. There was a little 0.7 points per game gap between 15th Brooklyn and 14th Miami. So, I mean, we're talking, again, let's just getting back to the DeAndre dunks and alley-oops, and, and, and we haven't even d- addressed the idea of DeAndre putbacks and that sort of thing. So, uh, DeAndre's presence on the floor, absolutely the Mavs are positioned to jump up into the top half of the league in points in the paint. Well, and Dennis's improvement, too, if you're talking about if he's yep. in that in-between game, that's more points in the paint, too. Yeah. Um, I think they can. Uh, last year, they were dead last. Uh, the mm-hmm. last time they were top half was 2014-15. That's Monte, Rondo, Chandler Parsons that season. Uh, they only had 42.7 points in the paint per game that year, which would have ranked you 24th in the NBA this past season. So even though teams are shooting more threes, teams have a lot more action going toward the rim, too. I think that's where DeAndre fits in. Uh, also, Dennis just improving. I mean, getting getting better angles to drive. Defense is less loaded up. I think DeAndre and Dennis alone is enough to give them like five to six to even seven points in the paint extra per game that they weren't getting this past season. So, yeah, for sure. I think they will. It they could even a, be top ten. It is a team that really enjoys shooting the three-pointer. Mm-hmm. And that's I don't think that's ever going to change as long as Rick Carlisle is the head coach. And I don't think it should. What interests me is this is a team that has op- operated – uh, over the last four to five years, without the uh, the windfall that is the offensive rebound, yeah, and that is DeAndre's forte. That's his most possessions used, uh, and and as an offensive category. And I think going from a team that doesn't get offensive rebounds at all 
to basically one of the most elite offensive rebounders in basketball. The simple addition of the DeAndre, two DeAndre putbacks a game. Yeah. It jumps you up to, you know, 44, and then Dennis maybe takes a step where he's more effective in the paint. I think they could be a top 12 team, borderline top 10 team in points in the paint because of the personnel and the DNA that they're going to have in their offense. If you had four more, you know, since it's – if you had four more baskets in the paint, that would take you from 38-8 to 46-8. And if you had 46-8 last year, that would be ninth in the league. So so if you just had three more baskets in the paint, which would go 38-8 to 44-8, then that would put you at 13th in the league. Well, so, who was second in the league last year? The Clippers. They had 52.2 mm-hmm. points in the paint. And who was on the Clippers last season? <laughs> Let me see. Basketball players. Yes. Danilo Gallinari? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're asking? For a little bit, yeah. He For unlocks the inside game, man. Yeah. Um, all right, question number 12. How do the Mavs replace the outside shooting ability they lost this offseason? The names are Doug McDermott, Yogi, and Seth Curry. Um, a lot of shooting went out the door. That's the number one bugaboo for me this season is, okay, I think you can do it. How does it happen? Because those guys walk onto the court. McDermott and Seth are probably the best shooters on either roster, um, you know, unless you've got a, you're playing Golden State or something like that. So I guess I'll give this one to Bobby first. Luka Doncic, all eyes are on you, my man. Between you and Dennis, you've got to sling that ball around side to side. You've got to get it inside, kick it out. Uh, Wes and Barnes are going to have a lot of open threes. They got to knock those down. So uh, just general conceptual basketball, I think, will help them a lot. Just the way that they play philosophically. Uh, Rick Carlisle said that they are not going to do the triple, triple, triple stuff. He said that's a one-way ticket to death. I think that was his <laughs> exact quote that he gave today um, to just pound the air out of the ball. So I think stylistically that is going to help. Uh, I also think pure manpower. So if McDermott's not playing, that means that, assuming he's healthy, Dorian Finney-Smith is Everybody says that he's the best shooter in practice. You watch him in practice. He never misses, like literally ever, uh, whenever they're on the practice floor. So if he can stay healthy and play some games and go in and shoot well, that will help. Otherwise, you got Ryan Brokoff, too, who's a really, really dang good shooter as he well. Is. So uh, if Finney Smith can stay healthy and play, I think that's going to help them a little bit. But also it's just Luka stylistically starters got to make it happen. Yeah. Well, that's a big ask for Finney Smith to be able to jump from, you know, what he has been from to, a three-point To Doug percentage. McDermott. <laughs> um, by the way, does Rick realize that they're really, I mean, conceptually speaking, there's no such thing as a round-trip ticket to death? I mean, yeah, you <laughs> no, can't one way, really. One way. One way. Yeah. One way. Well, no, he, oh, you're oh, saying he said a one-way ticket yeah. to death, yeah. but, but that's, that's the only really kind. the only kind yeah. of ticket you could yeah. actually have yeah. to death. Yeah. yeah, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no round-trip <laughs> ticket to death. So that's... Uh, I'm sorry. That's just really like I was sitting over here thinking, man, that is what a weird thing. You should you, to say. you should ask him about that tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> what, other kind of tickets, tomorrow so. what other kind of tickets to death are there, Rick? <laughs> All right. So I, this is a this is a great question and one that I, I thought a lot about because there is like a part of me that is in Mike's way of thinking that I'm a little worried about it. But then also I kind of think maybe some things are being made a little bit too much about it. Uh, McDermott shot 49% on threes in his time here, in his brief time here last That's year. That's crazy. I don't think that was sustainable. Um, you know, he did it for a 22-game window, taking three threes per game. Um, and, and, and by the way, I think there was like seven or eight rotation guys that were taking more threes per game than McDermott was. So even that lofty number wasn't really doing a whole lot in terms of, relatively speaking, 
boosting the percentage. Uh, to me, I never factored Seth into it because he never saw the floor last year. And, I mean, given and loved the guy and saw Marion in considering bringing him back, of course, but just was such an un- – moving forward for the remainder of his career, I think he's going to be such an unknown quantity. I mean, he's sort of moved into the can't-count-on-him stage right now whenever you know he only has been able to put together one season where he was on the floor for any important amount of time. And he played, what, a 2,100-minute season with the Mavs two years ago and then got hurt last year and then mm. never saw the floor at all. I'm happy so, for him, especially that too, he of course, was man. landing on a guy. good team. Yeah, you know, but there are still, of course, very significant question marks. Mm-hmm. And then the Yogi thing, um, his number is 37%. And I, I must give credit to my very good friend Chuck Cooperstein, the radio play-by-play voice of the Mavs. He has really, you know, last year he really noticed this trend and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but, but he really picked up on this trend of you got to look a little bit further at the numbers with Yogi in terms of the three-point percentage. And somebody tried to like argue with him a little bit on Twitter about it this summer, and I pointed out, and I went and looked up the numbers because Chuck was in a place where he couldn't immediately look him up to back up his argument. There really was a lot last year to the idea that Yogi got hot in a handful of games and had a lot of really good shooting performances and really good stretches in games where the result was already decided, quite frankly. You know, that, that there were fourth quarters where he went three for five on threes, but the margin going into the fourth quarter was Mavs down by 30. Mm-hmm. You know, there was uh, – I don't have access to this database, unfortunately, anymore through – you know, I won't even get into all of that, why I don't. But needless to say, I, I looked it up when I did still have access to it. And, and his shooting percentages when the margin of the game was plus or m- was more than 15 points either way were like 46% from the floor and 46% from three. And then his field goal percentage when the game was within six points one way or the other, up, you know, plus or minus six points a game uh, in the game was like down around 37 from the floor and 31 or 30 really? or maybe even lower than that. On, on I wonder mm. if that's a common thing or if, if that's he's kind of like a rare exception. I feel like that's that's a pretty large gap. Yeah, that's a pretty large gap. I don't. I think that's. I don't think that's a common thing. Yeah. I don't think you could. Yeah. I just. There's not enough minutes where the game is out of hand. Too many minutes are played where the game is close, and not enough minutes are played where games are yeah. out of hand for anybody to have sustainable careers. Um, you know, and have normal-looking percentages if you had that sort of variance. Yeah. In in the state of the games like it's that. It's the it's the A Rod home run. Yeah. Down, down four in the eighth. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. solo home run yeah. down four in the eighth. Um, so I'm not trying to look. I'm, I'm not uh, – I love Yogi, and I don't want anybody to listen to it and say, well, follow us just looking for negative stats about a guy that left here. That is not the case at all. I mean, Coop was bringing this up to me early last year, uh, and his numbers are exactly right about that. And so I'm not as alarmed about what – and look, you can take um, – I think that Denver was here maybe in early March – and that was a game where Yogi went six for seven on threes and had one of his best games of the year. We all know what he did up in Portland, Yogi Mania night two years ago. Yogi could single-handedly almost win games because he would go to that place in a handful of games over the course of the year. So you will miss that. He was willing to take – he had the ball in his hands a lot late in the shot clock. The step-back three is like this great weapon for Yogi that very few people have that can shoot it and can make it the way that he can, that he can when he gets into a good place. But to me, I see – surely that Doncic is not going to be the 31% three-point shooter that he was last year with Real Madrid. You know, if you look at Luka's EuroLeague or, or EuroLeague and ACB numbers in three seasons, 
39, 34, 31. As he took more threes, his percentage went down. So I'm sure that there were poor decisions and rushed threes and late clock threes and, and you know, bad shot selection threes and all that sort of stuff. I can't imagine. I mean, look, we've all watched the guy shoot. I mean, there's nothing to argue about with his mechanics. Agree? Mm-hmm. There's nothing to look at with the way he shoots the ball and think, oh, gosh, man, I'm, I'm alarmed by that. Surely the number being lower when he was a three-point shooter, the more he played and the more he took with Real Madrid was a function of – Guard, being guarded, forcing cl- shot clock, bad decisions, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so that alone, he'll be better there. I mean, I would hope that West would maybe, you know, he'll start, he'll, he will take a lot more just straight up catch and shoot threes, and the offense now will not dictate, or and he will not choose to take uh, off the dribble mm-hmm. late clock threes, and that will make his percentage go up. So to me, I, I think that this is not going to be something that's going to be an alarming issue for the Mavs. And Dennis, I think we're all in agreement that, that we, we see a pathway for Dennis to you know, make a modest improvement as a three-point shooter from 31-3 last year as well. This is kind of a trick question because I list the names because that's what people kind of feel uh, attached shooting towards is, oh, what a great shooter. You know, what a Doug McDermott, oh, sniper. Yogi, you know, taking four and a half threes a game, hitting them at 37 percent. Oh, that's incredible. I don't isolate it even to like players. There are great shooters in the league that can transform your offense. But I think the offense being a completely different offense with a guy that you have to tag if you're the weak side defender on the pick and roll, if he's diving at the basket. Talk about DeAndre. DeAndre. And then Luca sharing the ball and his willingness to dime guys up whenever he even gets in the lane or keep his eyes open for the weak side. I think it's the flow of the offense if they're going to be as good of a three-point shooting team as they were last year and they were in the past in terms of number and efficiency, I think it's just an overall effect of how you run your offense um, with more people, more attention being paid being paid to, or just somebody actually setting a screen and diving into the lane for, with the starting group, mm-hmm. and then Luca sharing the basketball. I think it's just a natural side effect. Makes total sense to me. Yeah. yeah well, and if you think about transformative offense, just one last note on that. Think of how different the Mavs bench unit looked last year when McDermott was in the game. Like, they were running different stuff just simply by, by virtue of adding a shooter. Mm-hmm. Now imagine adding a ball-handling wing into the offense, into the starting lineup with, like, the best role man in basketball. Like, their starting lineup is going to look so different. They're going to play different basketball. So mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be hard, I think, by the end of the year. It's going to be hard to compare this year's team to last year's team just because it, it, they're going to be so different. Oh, yeah. The makeup is just entirely different. It's – I don't – I think Mavs fans, I've said this for a while, that your eyeballs are going to be a little shocked first five to ten games of how different this brand of basketball is going to be. I noticed I was looking last night that um, I know the Vegas number is lower, but that CBS Sportsline had yeah. the Mavs jumping from and – they, and they ran their computer simulations um, – a few One weeks trillion ago. times. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was gonna say I was more like the time frame of when they did it. It was oh, a few okay, weeks yeah. ago that they did, and they and they had an, all their one trillion computer simula- simulations. 40, 49? 39. 39, okay. 39, okay. Yeah, yeah. jumping from twenty four to thirty nine. Yeah. And that would be a a huge increase, like mm-hmm. historically. Yep. Fifteen, yep. sixteen wins is that's big. That's okay, big. final one for this week of ceiling is the roof. Blank. <laughs> 
I think you guys should change the podcast. Can I interject that really quick? I got a, I got a name for it. I got oh, a name. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Round trip ticket to death. <laughs> or one way ticket to death. Which, <laughs> it's either one. Okay. Either one. What about that? Well, I think well, round, round trip is even funnier because then you're like, well, wait yeah. a minute. Okay, yeah. so there is a return. <laughs> we'll consider it <laughs> privately. The, what if the podcast was one way ticket to death? People might click on it expecting a different kind of conversation. <laughs> but uh, All right, final question. Blank will be Luca's biggest hurdle. In his rookie season. Go ahead, Bob. Okay, uh, blank. So that's not really a question. It's more of a. Uh, it's more of a statement. But my answer to the statement, I think that switching defenses are going to be a hurdle, and I don't mean that they're going to hinder him. I just mean that it's going to give him a lot more to think about. You come off a screen uh, against a team that doesn't switch, that will show or maybe drop, and you have some space to go in and and step in to this little you know eighteen foot. Uh, pocket away from the rim and make a pass or make a make take a shot whenever teams switch everything all of a sudden you're coming off a screen and you have a center in front of you sometimes you'll have a point guard in front of you sometimes you have a four man sometimes you'll have uh, Kawhi Leonard who is way longer and and can just kind of swallow you up and and stop you so all of these guys uh, pose a different problem if you have a point guard on you and you're Luka and you come off a screen, what do you do? Do you try and back him down or do you swing it over to Dennis who now has a big man on him? If you have a guy that you can blow by, do you dribble it out and uh, try and do the thing where you take 35 steps backward out to the half-court line and then you get a running start and go by him? Uh, more and more teams are switching, and switching is designed to just junk up the flow of an offense. So what is going to be his answer to all of these different problems that teams are going to pose, that different positions are going to pose? That could take a while to figure out because they do switch a lot in Spain, but the athleticism spread between a three and a five or a three and a one is way different over here. So um, I think that could be something that takes them a few months to figure out. I like tangential thoughts, by the way. And when you phrase a question as blank will be Luca's biggest hurdle in his rookie season, if I said if I bring up the show Match Game, is that de- is that too old for I know, you guys? I, I got you. Yeah, no, I've seen it. I just every time that you throw that these questions were written with blank will be Luca's biggest hurdle in his rookie season. Mm-hmm. My mental soundtrack is going to bow bow because that's the music that played while everybody was writing down their uh, answers on the little blue cards yeah. that they would hold up. This so. hurdle was so big. Yeah, How big big. <laughs> Very good. You did watch yeah. the show. That's nice. Okay. Um, all right. So that's my tangential moment. In the interest of brevity and streamlining, um, I thought Bobby's answer was great. And obviously, there was a lot of in-depth thought put into it. Uh, a little more simplification on my part is his biggest hurdle will be adjusting to the unique athletes at this league will pose that he'll have to go up against as an offensive player and that he'll have to guard as a defender. Because... Look, that's has always been to me my question about what his NBA career holds is how will his what we perceive anyway. And look, we may start watching him in person and we may get an entirely different feel for it. But I think we go into it feeling like that there are athletic limitations, which certainly doesn't mean that you can't be you can still be a great NBA player and have limitations in your quote unquote athleticism. Uh, But. That, to me, is what his biggest hurdle will be, is how will he guard those players, how will those guys, and through the switching of defenses, by the way, how will those athletic players be able to mitigate some of his strengths and abilities and talents that he has as a creator on the offensive end of the floor. So I would say that's that's what I'm looking for. The one I don't care about, but it's going to be internet memeable and 
gifable and the one that's going to stand out to you whenever you watch uh, him on defense is he's got to learn to fight through a really hard screen. That's just not something I saw in his bag initially. Um, and that's what people are going to talk about. I don't think that one matters as much. I think that can be learned. That can He can figure that out. The one that I personally uh, worry about more than that is, okay, I feel like his natural, his autopilot is to drive and create for, for others um, with his head always up and it, you know seeing the entire court. What I'm worried about is whenever they start cutting off those passing lanes and they make him create his own shot. Um, getting separation from a defender, you know, getting all the way into the lane and being clever enough to uh, not let the, the help big come over and get you. I think just being, being selfish, being greedy with the basketball when defenses make him be greedy. I think that's something he's got to learn. I think he's crafty and clever enough to do those things inside. I think the, the bigger question will be is, a willingness yeah you know is there a willingness to look for your own shot whenever that's what the defense is doing and I think look the one thing we certainly seem to see about Luca is of all the things to simplify all of the things that you have said Mike that are exactly right and that you were said Bobby that is that exactly exactly right as it's well kind of right on yours is <laughs> that uh, kind of right at least yeah is yeah, that Luca okay. at, at his in, in a simplified term at his base is a player who will take what the defense gives him so I, I think that he'll I think he'll be okay in that regard. I mean I'd like to think so. I mean do you agree that I mean again I know that's a very oversimplified sports guy term, but there is truth to it mm. that he is at his base a player who will take what the defense gives. Yeah, him. he'll play the game that you lay out in front. Yeah. You know if you say okay we're playing three on three left-handed, he'll do it. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, I just the thing I worry about is him being really good at if they do take away the passing lanes, they know he's driving to create looks for other people. Because I feel like that's going to be the that's going to be the scouting report on him early. Mm -hmm. After about ten games, whenever you start putting the book together, you're going to go, okay, he's driving with his head up to create looks, and okay, if you bring somebody else over, if you close the passing lane, his natural you know hook pass over the head that he wants to go across uh, the court with, okay, what does he do then? Is he athletic enough? Can he create the separation? And I think his size would probably be the the counterpoint I'd put in there. Yeah. Of uh, there's not going to be a guy. His, there's very few athletes in the NBA that are his size that can move like him. And uh, honestly, I think he's pretty strong, too. Mm -hmm. So just maybe a physical advantage might be, the, might be the, the counter to you closing off the passing lanes of, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive into the lane, and then I'm going to back you down for three seconds, and there's nothing you can do about yeah. it. And that might be the, just I – just, I don't think that's in him to be greedy or take looks that feel bad – Whenever you, whenever you put the ball up, but it's the best play that the defense is giving you. Well, and if they start taking away the pass, that's where you got to count on your teammates to move. Yeah. So don't don't stand and watch. Move. Cut. You know, Dennis, mm -hmm. go back door. No one can stop you. DeAndre, yeah. re-screen. Yeah. Set a pin down. Go go do something. You know, Wes is really good. I know people – you probably don't watch the guy that doesn't have the ball, but Wesley Matthews is really good at moving around. Mm -hmm. Sometimes one step to the left gets you wide open. Yeah. And whenever you're face guarded, whenever you're one step to the right. So – you just have to, as as a, the teammate of a guy that has the ball, as LeBron's teammate, you can't just get caught watching him. You have mm -hmm. to watch your defender. Where is he looking? Where can I go that's going to get me open? Yep. And, you know, Matthews and Barnes' experience playing in Golden State, these guys all come 
from offenses or are good enough individually to just realize that they can move when they need to to, to get themselves open. You know, one of the things that's funny about the NBA is that I do think people perceive, like, for example, last year, everybody perceived that people would want to have a go at Lonzo because of things that LaVar said. And and my thought on that, and I think, you know, Luca is a very hyped foreign rookie. I mean, one of the biggest ever. And there might be a few guys over the course of a year that might want to have a go at him specifically because of that. But just like with Lonzo last year, I never thought that was going to be a big thing. I mean, maybe a little bit as a rookie, but the league is too difficult and the seasons are too long and the games are coming at you too frequently and too challenging that you got your own career and your own team and your own games and your own season to worry about that just very, very infrequently are you going to isolate this night of, oh, man, this is the guy I got to put on a poster or put on a GIF or on a or whatever. I started to say Vine. Turn him into yeah. an emoji. Yeah, turn him into an Internet meme. Although I think that uh, the more internet memeable thing is getting beat off the dribble and getting put on getting put on skates by somebody's crossover. It's interesting you pointed out that you think it's internet memeable not fighting over screens enough. Well, that, just that's just that's going to be like that's real that's like next level dork. Meme. Yeah, that's just real running next level. into a wall <laughs> like if it's like someone sorry, and he doesn't even see the guy and it's just, you know you, those screens. All right, I'll, like, I'll be looking for like them. Aaron Baines comes down and just like it's a good clobbers him. Yeah, that's a good choice for you somebody. Know what I mean? He's going to set a. I think I think they're trying to keep screen. him away from having to fend in space like that yeah. and you know turning letting the keeping the teens away from roasting him on the internet <laughs> so i think i end it's gonna happen at some point yeah and, and a, lot, a lot of the everyone. tricks rick already knows sure um you know find the mismatch that helps him keep on doing what he's doing offensively and with him and barnes interchangeable at the three four and even luca down to the two it's uh you you can overcome it i just I want to see him in the fourth quarter whenever they take the passing lanes away and they say, okay, our best defender's on you. I'm going to let you get this shot off, but you got to create it. You got to, you got to create the separation. You got to create the good look. Be greedy. Make the game winner, which he did with Real Madrid a handful of times. Sure. But, you know, it's a, different, it's a little bit of a different game. Hey, so. but you know, what, you know who else has had that problem? Every other scorer, like yeah. ever. Victor Oladipo. Yeah. Last year was the first year where he was able to just do whatever. It, sometimes it takes you a while to reach, like, the Nirvana stage. Mm -hmm. it took Dirk a while. A real interesting thought is that NBA basketball is hard. That <laughs> is. NBA basketball is, <laughs> it, is. It, you know, if I, I believe that Rick uh, is also fond of saying, in addition, about a one-way ticket to death, that if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. Right. Not, so. And he does say hard things are hard. That was another, <laughs> that was another Rick ism. Yeah, yeah that is one. Yeah. All right. Well, this was very enjoyable. Thank you guys so much. Man, thank and, you guys uh, for having me on yeah. one-way ticket to death. <laughs> oh, great podcast. absolutely. Man, I love Ceiling it. is the roof. Awesome. Say, oh, say, hey, it's starting <laughs> tomorrow. Basketball is here tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Basketball is here tomorrow. Love All right. Guys. Look for the top ten next week. All right, we're out.